and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut, and this is episode 12. Um, it's hard to believe that I've been doing this now for, or we've been doing this, I can't really do it without the listeners, 24 weeks. 24 weeks and uh, 12 podcasts, a few extra podcasts in there, and I've learned a lot. It's also now really, really hot in New Haven. I don't know um, if everyone else who's listening is experiencing some sort of heat wave, but I am currently sitting sweating with the window open. Uh, So if you hear any noises or whatever, that's just the wonderful sounds of the streets of New Haven. So um, bear with me on those. So I just wanted to start today with a little life update. Um, It's July and July and June and August and summer in general are really hard a lot of the times for people who struggle with, um, you know, body image or an eating disorder because suddenly so much more of your body is exposed. You're supposed to be wearing, you know, swimsuits and shorts and tank tops and eating ice cream every day. And um, those things are awesome. I love wearing shorts. I love tank tops and swimming and ice cream is one of my favorite foods. But it's also really hard. It's hard because uh, most people who have an eating disorder have some trigger foods. So certain foods that bring up behaviors um, like purging or binging or whatever it may be. And um, for me, a lot of the foods that are my favorite in the summer are those foods. So this year is my, you know, hopefully second full summer um, without a relapse. I made it last summer. So goals for this summer are to continue. And I'm trying to to not avoid any of those foods. So instead of saying, okay, I know I can do it if I don't have, you know, ice cream or bagels or potato salad or whatever it is, um, and that's great, but I want to be able to do it and have my favorite foods. I don't want to have those foods totally off the table forever. So um, for anyone else out there trying to reintroduce trigger foods or you know, make them a normal part of your diet again, I'm right there with you. So uh, here goes to ice cream multiple times this week and not throwing up, which was awesome. Okay. So anyway, um, as you know, the new trend, I am starting each episode with an in the news or research story. And this one is from the New York Times. Um, The article was entitled, When You're Told You're Too Fat to Get Pregnant. And uh, I found it incredibly moving. I'm just going to read some excerpts from it. But basically, the reason I think it's important for us to discuss is because a lot of fertility clinics um, and, you know, GYN doctors who are helping women get pregnant or who are pregnant, um, you know, have a weight cut off. So they kind of have this idea that if your BMI is over 45 or 50 or 40, depending on the clinic, um, that they're not going to help you, that before they help you, you better lose weight. And, you know, I just want to reiterate, you know, I've said before, but there's not a lot of, you know, recognition behind the fact that BMI has been, you know, disproven as really effective. There's plenty of people who are totally healthy, who could have a baby, who could, run, do whatever it is, and have no heart issues, no diabetes, whatever um, people say are the, you know, associated health effects with weight. 
they can have a BMI of 45 and be healthy. Others of us, you know, are not healthy at a BMI of 45, and that's totally fine. But having this cutoff that's so strict and not taking in other factors of the body and the individual is really damaging for these women. So this particular article talks a lot about one woman who, um, her name is Gina Balzano, and she basically was told, you know, you're too fat to get pregnant. And so she ended up having bariatric surgery, you know, cutting out her stomach, part of her intestines, um, you know, re-sewing it all together, limiting what she eats extremely, uh, just so she could have a baby, just so the fertility clinic would help her have IVF. So I want to read, you know, part of the article to you. So here we go. Although Bozzano didn't know it when she made the appointment, the clinic that would have performed the procedure had a policy against providing IVF to patients with a body mass index above 45. Gina's was 51.2. In that decision, it followed much of the fertility industry, including half of the 20 largest clinics in the United States, according to Fertility IQ an online clearinghouse of information on fertility providers nationwide. At some clinics, the cutoff for treatment is a BMI of 50, often classified as extreme or severe obesity. At others, it's much, it's much lower. And then the article goes on to quote some experts, and it says, I think we've been over-exaggerating the benefits of preconception weight loss, says Dr. Richard S. Legro, a professor of public health services and chair of obstetrics and gynecology at Penn State University. In fact, a fixation on weight may be leading health care astray. Many providers see a larger woman and say things like, don't eat cheeseburgers, even though she's a vegetarian, says Sharon Bernecki DeJoy, the director of public health at Westchester University, who studies maternity care in the United States. There is a lack of recognition of evidence that shows you can be healthy and still have a quote unquote unhealthy BMI and a lack of recognition that when a heavy person does get sick, it might not be be because of weight. And I think, um, you know, that last section I read that a recognition that when a heavy person does get sick, it might not be because of weight is kind of the cornerstone of Hayes, the health at every size philosophy. So um, hopefully (laughs) that was informational. If you guys want to look that article up, I'll have a link in the show notes, but it's on the New York Times. It's in the features section. It's when you're told you're too fat to get pregnant by Virginia Soul Smith. All right. So without any more jabbering from me, I'm really excited to have another therapist on the podcast today. Her name is Elizabeth Rubin, and she's a licensed professional counselor and a psych D in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, She has 15 years experience, and she got her postdoc at the Yale Stress Center at Yale Medical School um, or Yale School of Medicine. So I, I had a wonderful conversation with Elizabeth. I learned a lot about the ways someone with an eating disorder like thinks and um, some, you know, aspects of why it might be hard to recover from an eating disorder that I have never thought about before. So I hope you all enjoy the interview. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please, please send me an email, worth, W-E-R-T-H, your while, nutrition at gmail.com, or you can tweet me uh, at J-B-O-E-L, worth, or send um, a DM on Instagram, worth your while, whatever uh, way is best for you. 
And please, if you can take the time this week to review the podcast on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Um, We're definitely getting higher up in the ratings. We have more coming in each week. But um, reviews, we're lacking on the reviews. So please, if you care about this podcast, if you care about the message, go ahead and just write a quick review. Just a sentence is fine. Um, We're really trying to bring in some more uh, listeners to the podcast. So thank you so much. And here you go with Elizabeth. So I'm here today with Elizabeth Rathbun. Uh, She's a licensed professional counselor and soon to be a psychologist, right? Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Awesome. And so last week I had a therapist on, as most of you know, and I really enjoyed speaking with her and I wanted to have another one um, because it's such a different perspective than the dietitians have brought to the show. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So first, um, Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about you and why you went into psychology and counseling and all that. So I've kind of been interested in this for a long time. I have been an LPC um, in Massachusetts and in Connecticut now for over 15 years. Um, and I just, I have such a passion for um, working with clients um, with a range of um, challenges, but I started getting into, um, I guess, working with people with disordered eating and addiction and trauma, um, probably, you know, right at the start of my counseling internships. And I really um, resonated with that. And um, throughout my um, future practicums and internships, I really liked the training I got. And I really loved working with different populations. Um, But especially um, in the last few years, I've really um, gotten a lot of people with a range of disordered eating yeah. and um, from adolescents to, you know, kind of women in their 60s and 70s who've been on diets forever. Yeah, the chronic diet. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, um, and it, still hate their bodies. Yeah. What percentage of your patients are um, or have disordered eating? What percentage of people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. so common i would say at this point it's probably like 75 percent oh wow of my clients yeah okay have some form of disordered eating yeah and you i think work with all types right binge eating anorexia i do i do i work with binge eating anorexia um binge um bulimia um you know kind of more unspecified yeah ednos or whatever they want to call it now um Yes, I do. I tend to not working with people who are more restrictors, as you probably know, you know, is is, can be a lot more complicated sometimes, especially because of the medical team needed and all of that. But um, I do. And I like that. I like working with, you know, that range. Okay. But I also know my limits. (laughs) Yeah. And when you say that, what do you mean? Because I think a lot of people who are looking for a therapist yes. or a, a medical professional are like, well, they say they specialize in eating disorders. Right. Why won't they take me? Um, but we all have different, you know, spectrums of practice, right? Right, right. I think that sometimes um, it's, you know, our hearts are so big and we really want to help kind of everyone. Yeah. But I think sometimes <laughs> I that. that can be a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. Because there's only so much 
as one person in private practice that I can do. Right. I, sometimes I think people need more support, more structure, um, you know, more medical attention, more yeah. um, nutritional attention. And so I think, you know, even if sometimes there is a medical team, they need a higher level of care or that kind of thing. So I just think it's important to be realistic about that. Right. Um, especially because health first, right? Yeah, of course. So one big reason I wanted to bring you on is because you on your website specify very specific, like I take these different approaches Mm -hmm. um, to treatment. And that's something I haven't talked a lot about on the podcast is like, what does recovery or treatment to recovery actually look like? Mm. And what strategies might a therapist employ? Yes. So I think one of yours is mindfulness, right? Yes. So could you talk a little bit about what that means and what that even looks like? Sure. So um, mindfulness, I think, is a, a big term now. Yeah. Kind of talking about it and trying to be more Everyone's mindful. Like closing their eyes and like yes. slowly chewing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, I think it's been tossed around a lot. I think that, you know, the core of mindfulness is being present. Okay. In a deliberate way, um, in a way that, you know, you're trying to be non-judgmental and, and be more observant. Because most of us walking through our daily lives are future oriented and worrying about what we need to do tomorrow or right. later today or, or worried about, you know, what we didn't do yesterday and dwelling yeah. on that. And so mindfulness, I think, is, is great in terms of helping us be more centered around what's happening right now. What do I need to attend to? What's coming up for me? Um, and how can I, you know, kind of stay in the present, mm-hmm. which is not possible all the time yeah so when I drift off can I can I kind of come back to the present Um, because that's really all we have is the present moment so one technique um, in terms of mindfulness meditation is using the breath because we can't breathe our last breath and we can't breathe our next breath so that's a way of being more present is is using your breath and and breathing and and noticing you know again without trying to judge it which can be really hard really hard the judgment pieces I think are all over the place yeah teaching us to judge and change and and that kind of thing so I I really love mindfulness because I think it's helped me in my life and I I think it it really I've seen I've seen it help other people Um, I do mindfulness with my clients a lot of the time we start out session like that or we'll end session with a mindfulness meditation um and it's really, really powerful. They have so many wonderful apps right now. Yeah. So there's a lot of really good stuff to help them practice it outside of session too. And how does mindfulness in terms of like being in the present, right? And like noticing your breath or mm-hmm. noticing what you're eating or whatever help with eating disorder recovery? Um, it helps because I find a lot of times with patients with disordered eating, they're so stuck in the fear, right? Yeah. The fear of gaining weight, the fear of not knowing what this food is going to do to their body, the fear of so many different things. Yeah. Um, I feel like eating disorders are really married to anxiety. It's almost impossible from, from what I've seen, not to see some type of anxiety yeah. with eating disorders. I mean, it is an anxiety, right? Yeah. You're so anxious Absolutely. about food and what you look like right. and whatever else right. is going on. Right, right, right. And, and also, you know, there's a part of that that's also like, I see a lot of guilt and shame around like, I just ate that, like, you know, what's going to happen and I can't believe I did that and what, you know, or, you know, kind of the, the critical self, the beating the self up, the disordered eating voice, 
you know, I call it that will just continue to kind of like bash you in your head. Yeah. Um, when like 90% of your thoughts are about like food, right? And right. What you're, right. What you're, you're so consumed. Like. Right. And so, so the mindfulness piece I found not always at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it might seem like a really tough thing at the beginning. Absolutely. It's, it's really tricky, but I think sometimes it can help, um, eventually in different ways I think being mindful um sometimes I'll take walks with clients and oh, cool um sometimes it's not just because sometimes especially at the beginning I find they can't necessarily be connected with their bodies in a way that's healthy mm-hmm. so sometimes it's not checking in with their breath necessarily or their body but it's more checking in with nature and like what are you noticing you know what do you um, some of this is also grounding skills, which I think can be really yeah. helpful too. So, you know, kind of noticing what they see, what's present in front of them that maybe they never noticed before. And like what's real. What's right? real. Yes. Right. What's right now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that could be, you know, bird or a flower or something like that. And, and just being able to also um, kind of use the body in a different way, like walking as in movement and not as in burning calories yeah. and not as in, you know, and just feeling like what it's like to move slowly yeah, and be okay with that or have, you know, maybe find some peace around that feeling the grass on your feet. You I'm know? so glad you brought that up because that's something in the past few years, I think just as a society, we have become like so obsessed with steps. Yes. And like, if I hear one more person say like they had this many steps yeah. on their Fitbit or whatever, yes. um, and it kind of takes the joy out of exercise. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think that that's so hard then to break that cycle with the eating and the working out. Right. Yeah. But when you when you kind of shift it to more of like movement is supposed to be, like you said, joyful. It's yeah. supposed to be. Make you feel good. Yes. Yeah. And it's not this like torturous punishment and device that you have to yeah. do because you have to burn those calories or whatever. And even like treadmills now have mm-hmm. like calorie counters yes, or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. And I have always tell people like bring a card or your phone or yes. something and like put it over that. Yes. Because it doesn't matter. You don't need to get to 200 calories or something. Right. Just how do you feel like yes. how's it going yes I, th- I think we've really lost touch with that even yeah. the watches and the fitbits now i mean everything is like telling us uh, i mean it's like flashing like oh you know you need five thousand more steps today or yeah. whatever it is and so yeah i think that that can also you know be helpful in that way and of course you know like yoga is another mindfulness right activity that's wonderful i i don't teach yoga but i advocate for it because that can be really powerful if if people are to get people able to do that with yeah. themselves yeah And so I know intuitive eating is very much like in the news now, right? Even though it's not new, like we've been teaching intuitive eating for a while. Um, How does it relate to mindfulness or do you ever talk to clients about that? So I'm not technically an intuitive eating certified coach, but I hope to become one. Um, But I do love the principles around that. And so I think, yeah, I I do think they're similar, but I think they're also different. Right, for sure. Um, I think it relates to coming back to what we know to begin with it's like almost like unlearning yeah <laughs> the diet mentality yeah. and relearning how to connect with ourselves how to be more present how to listen to our bodies which i think you know most of us even people without disordered eating like we're very much out of touch and yeah we're, we're it's very just like much breakfast in, is now yes and lunch right, is now. right right <laughs> right and i think so coming back to that you know, what is my body telling me? What feels good in my body? What's my energy like after I eat this? How does it feel? You know, how does it feel? What what 
what, what, what am I tasting? Is this really what I want? Is it satisfying? You know, yeah. those, those kinds of questions, I think, really also help us to be more curious versus judging. Well, I can't eat that because yeah. it has, you know, too much fat or whatever, or not enough protein, too many carbs. Um, we've gotten so stuck in that that I think it's very hard to hear that internal voice. Right, for sure. And I actually had a client, I think it was yesterday, but I lose track, you know, <laughs> um, who was telling me they can't look at food anymore without seeing like how many calories yes. it is. And I'm. do you see that a lot with I patients? I see that all the time. It's so difficult because, and you can see in session when we talk about, you know, certain foods, their brains are like they've com computed it like it's automatic right. this yeah. like automatic well i can't have that and they don't need a nutrition calculator yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean they don't even need um my fitness pal a food like, label anything my fitness pal yeah. and their brains have that already right. you know in, inside their minds like, it's already done and i i think that that's really scary um you know that's interesting you say that because somebody the other day a client brought up that they were at a restaurant and the restaurants now are putting all the calorie oh, yeah. and I nutrition like, information. Yeah, I get so upset so about that. <laughs> this is a big trigger. Yeah. So this particular client was out with her husband and kids. And she said, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I panicked. And I just closed the menu. And I said to my husband, can you just pick something for me? You know yeah. what I like. And that seemed to work out best for her mm -hmm. rather than looking at the menu and rather than her kids seeing her do, you know, so it was kind of one of those things where, um, but, and I know some people will say, oh, it's great because now I can, you know, kind of budget my whatever and, and know that I can have this and I can look ahead of time and, why are you budgeting right, your calories right. though? So it's it's really, but it's like, again, we're not listening to our bodies. What does your body want? Yeah. Like, what are you feeling like today? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think, so I um, went to a conference in February called WIND and it was uh, Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics put on by Heather Kaplan. Um, and she and the other speakers there were talking about how you know, we have all of these behaviors that you or I um, would diagnose as an eating disorder, right? But then if you, you know, see a client who is, you know, bigger or classified like in medical um, terms as like overweight or obese, a lot of people prescribe those like exact same behaviors. Um, how do you feel about that? Or how do you even talk to other professionals? Oh, this is such a difficult topic. And I think one that needs to be talked about more. So there's, there's, um, this is so prevalent. And so there are these doctors, I think, who are getting it, who are yeah. really on board, who are like, I agree with you. This is about supporting my client to make healthier choices like walking and maybe yeah. getting more sleep <laughs> and lowering or managing their stress. You right. know, not about they need to change their caloric intake. And then I think there's kind of this um, traditional medicine I don't know I don't mean to say that but <laughs> but more like this traditional kind of doctor it is the who traditional tends to be yeah who tends to be like no you have to lose weight like this is going to change everything your numbers yeah. are going to go down you're going to feel better you're going to and I know that there's you know that can be right like a factor but it's yeah. really about the other it's be it's about you know kind of choosing healthier lifestyle and, and changes around like 
what's going on for you? That's not helping them to, to yeah. every time you go in the office telling them to, you know, lose well, weight. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also not, a symptom, right? It's like, absolutely. I wouldn't tell someone to stop coughing. Like, exactly. Stop coughing. You exactly. have strep throat. It's like. not what it's about. And I think we've become so obsessed yeah. with the war on obesity that we need a war on the war on obesity. You yeah. Know, because it, even the term is just so. Right. It, it's hard to say it. Um, like you're fighting people's bodies. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, and I remember, I don't know if it was Heather Kaplan who I heard that from, but um, I remember reading an article about how really the people that are able to keep the weight off from dieting, the reason they're able to do that is because they've basically gotten an eating disorder, right. a kind of a dis, you know, kind of the OSFED in yeah. some ways diagnosis because they're doing, they're obsessed. Yeah. And the people like that I've met, yes. And the term. people that I've met that have lost all this weight and, you know, uh, some of them have had a bariatric surgery mm-hmm. um, and, and then they become obsessed with, that you know kind of staying at this weight or losing this weight and um it becomes i mean they said i remember one client said to me i'd rather be in a bigger body where i was because in some ways i was more content this is awful all i do is think about how do i keep this off and how do i not disappoint myself and everyone and I did you know I finally did this and now what like I'm still I still have this brain in this I'm different still body me, right yes, like you're not yes. you don't I don't know I I despise all of those like before and after yes. photos and they, now they're like billboards on the yes. highway that are like before and after and I'm just like why does it make it look like the person after is suddenly like super happy and like Absolutely. nothing's wrong? Like, I mean, your dog might still be sick. Like you might still be stressed about work. Like nothing has changed. Absolutely. It's interesting that you say that because I pass that on the way to yeah, work. Yeah, every day. <laughs> yes. And I think to myself, if only I had like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, I would put up billboards. I know. Right next to them that said, you are okay right now. You are okay the way you are. Yeah. You know, something that's like, really against that message like smile because, <laughs> like, yes know. and like you know it's it's these those are those are just so damaging I yeah mean, and I think to myself that's just driving in like a five mile radius yeah that's what we're taking in right you know and I, it's it's crazy the amount of social media and and media messages that we're taking in daily how would we like our bodies I mean even just to be able to respect our bodies I think is a really big deal because there's this normative discontent around our bodies it's like like we have been normal to not like your body absolutely absolutely and so when I talk to clients about because sometimes they're like I'm never I I love you know body positivity but I'm never going to get there and I try to like normalize that and say most of us aren't yeah because I I think trying to reach for that can be really unrealistic yeah. especially given all this we've internalized in, in the and, and the billboard <laughs> yes yeah 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 so i think it's more about you know body respect and body tolerance and hopefully getting to the point where you can feel better in your body and move in your body and respect it and yeah um but i, I guess i kind of rambled on with that question <laughs> <laughs> that's okay yeah, I think it's uh, very challenging to get to the point where you can say, like, I like the way I look. Like, that simple statement is just, 
it comes off as you're conceited or yes, you're yes. you think you're better than right, me because right. you like how you look and it's like wh- why do we all have to hate how we are right 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 yeah absolutely and i think you know i really like that there there are some changes happening it does For feel sure. like um i'm seeing actually some not all but you know i i do see adolescents but i also see some adolescents who are actually health like really having a healthy attitude about their bodies and and i think you know some of the clothing companies are changing it's very slow and and you know like the nike model did you see that yes yes oh my goodness i was like why is there such controversy over this i know and like that 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 is like we should be representing all bodies and all races and all cultures and right that should be the norm you know it, it still bothers me that we have plus sizes and yeah that that's or husky not part of, isn't like right. aren't boys yes. called like husky yes. <laughs> yes and i think you know i think that that i think it will change slowly slowly but i think unfortunately um that will be last to change right in, with a medical model i think that's very difficult but i think that that's something that you know as i talk more to doctors i i think that they're more open to that um and i think it's really you know, sometimes I'll talk to them like if we're, we're working with a client and we'll talk about them weighing the client and they'll say, well, they refused. And, you know, sometimes they don't understand that. And, and so that's something that I help clients with, like advocating, like you don't have to get weighed if you yeah. don't want to get weighed. It's traumatic for a lot it's of very traumatic. disorder patients. It's very hard to advocate too, right? Yeah. Like their voice is often very quiet or, or, or not there. So right. it's like a lot of pieces to that, I think advocating for that is actually like a big thing in therapy (laughs) yeah being able to do that and yeah and then I've seen some clients where it actually helps them to get their weight and come to an acceptance on it so I think it really depends yeah um but it definitely is not usually um a helpful experience going to the doctors it's like people like have nightmares about it they're like oh it's happening next week how am I going to do like what am I going to say and you know like we'll walk through it and but I, it's it's very very difficult, um, and I think what's so hard is that they're already feeling so awful right. about themselves, and so it just makes it so much worse. It's really hurting, um, and it's it's like painful already. Why would you? How is that helpful? To I don't know. So uh. <laughs> I think once doctors realize that more, I do think ultimately they want to help the patient, yeah. and so it can be. It, it's changing but for sure slowly. so the we talked about mindfulness yes. right and then the other approach you use is strength based or is that what it's called well i use a lot of strength based approaches um because i think we focus so much on the negative right um i i use i mean it's it's kind of like a just explain yeah explain, it's, it's yeah. like eclectic so i i really love um acceptance commitment therapy okay which comes from behavioral um behavioral theories but also from mindfulness okay so it really focuses on um accepting what is so you know kind of that's part of the mindfulness part is accepting our feelings whether they're positive negative neutral Mm -hmm. we tend to want to like hold on so tight to the positive experiences but the negative ones we want to like shoo away right and get rid of happen yeah right right and so that takes so much energy right and it takes so much um unrealistic expectations and so it's like when you are able to accept what is and 
not that this is easy. Yeah. But accepting what is and also um, accepting it's going to pass eventually. But also there's a conflict there. So there's uh, it's often accepting like, you know what? I really, um, I love you and I'm really angry at you right now. Right. Which is very difficult because, you know, especially with eating disorders, I find people have this like all or nothing thinking. Yeah. So this really helps to kind of be like both of those things are true and both of those things can be true. And how do we hold on to both of those things and really say like, yes, I, I feel that and I also feel this and I think this and I also think this. Um, so acceptance around that and also um, really reassessing and reviewing your values and meaning and what's important to you. Right. Because most people, when it comes down to it, they know that the eating disorder is never going to make them happy. Right. right. Um, and it's what's underneath that that's really important. And I think it's usually what's important to them is being loved, being accepted. Right? Yeah. Like all of us um, feeling like they belong and feeling like they want to make a difference in life. And, and you want to do things that are important to them. And usually it's not thinking about food and their weight and their body 100% of the time, right? right? So yeah. I think that, that really clouds out your goals. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And what would you do with that time? Right? And, you know, it's it's like one of those things where that can be a really powerful yet scary yeah. idea because it's like, well, what am I now without my eating disorder? Because right. it becomes such an identity and it's empowering and it's validating and People, who wants to lose that, right? Right. Um, so I think that's what's so tricky about this work is that um, there's so many conflicts and they they get a lot out of the eating disorder. I think it's yeah. really important to talk about that part of it is like there's a lot of this that feels good. And so yeah. how can we, we might not be able to fully um, replicate that in real life. But how can we find a way to empower you and and really focus on your strengths that have nothing to do with eating disorder? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's definitely not something we talk about that that there is some, I don't know, gratification maybe that people with an eating disorder get from doing all of the behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I um, I had an eating disorder as like a teenager and in my early 20s. And I remember saying to people like, you don't understand like it felt good yes Yes. not not all of the time but you know there was those times where you did whatever the um symptom was and you were just like afterwards like yeah i'm awesome for like not giving in to whatever yes Yes. absolutely i think that's really tricky and it's not to say that okay let's romanticize this and oh no good but it's i think it's a reality that needs to be acknowledged because um it's I think it can be invalidating if that's not acknowledged and yeah. you just tell people we'll focus on the long term focus on yeah you know like your bones you want, and right 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 and, and that's so <laughs> hard to see especially I mean a teenager and, yeah. and thinking that far it's like ahead. osteoporosis right <laughs> like, right yeah which is that's which is like really hard yeah but, you know um in terms of thinking of consequences and um but I think when people really shift to more of a perspective of like you know what do I want outside of this and they start to do things and connect with people in different ways and you know maybe try an an art or you know a hobby or a certain interest or sport 
that can be really powerful mm-hmm. because then they realize like I am more than this eating disorder. Right. I have you know? other things I'm good at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's other things it's, and again, it's not a, that control I think is very sneaky um, and insidious. And so I think that's also a part of it is like, you know, letting go of that, like what that control means and what that really means and what's underneath that. Right. right. Because it's like about the food, but it's not about the food. Yeah. Right. Um, I think something that stuck with me that a therapist once said was like, um, you know, what, you know, what would you get? Would you ever get to the other side? Basically, like, is there an end to all of these behaviors? And I just sat there and was like, no, <laughs> like, right, right. right. You just realize, like, what am I even working towards yes. if there's no goal? Right. Right. When's it going to be enough? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any like go to like phrases or things that you say to patients? Um, that's a great question. I'll have to think about that. As well. <laughs> that's okay. Um, well, I do. I do like to emphasize that people because people will say, I don't know where I got these ideas from. I think they're just there you know, like about their body size, right? You know, if it's realistic or what they want to look like and why that person has a perfect body, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Um, And I'll say, well, you know, are people born with us in their heads? And and it's like, no, they're not born with that. So where do you, you know, you, where do you get that? Yeah. Are you getting that from? And also what is reinforcing it? Are you, what are you doing that's reinforcing it? Because usually there's a lot that's reinforcing it, whether right. it's reading, you know, um, any magazine, any magazine, <laughs> Frankly, right? Yeah. Like, you know, subscribing to these paleo newsletters, uh, you know, anything. And also the inter, you know, like follow, who are you following on social media? Oh, yeah. Because that, that is a whole huge, I think, behavioral change that needs nightmare. to happen. <laughs> yes. Nightmare. Because it's like, when we really like there's one day I usually have them come with their phone and we look at who they're following. Yeah. And it's like, let's be really honest about this. Like who are you following? And why? And why? And how do you feel after looking at these at at their page or yeah. at their posts? Like how do you honestly feel? And usually it's awful, yeah. not enough, <laughs> yeah. undeserving, disgusting, you know, you name it. And it's like, okay, so do you think, and I kind of frame this as like, if you were to put together, like say you're in charge of a project and you're right. like the leader of this project, do you think if your goal was to make this person or this situation better, do you think you'd, you'd pick this? <laughs> and they're like, no, no but, 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 you know, like, but it's inspiring, but I love the fitness routine, but I love this, but I, but you're, you're telling me right now that just looking at this makes you feel awful. So it's yeah. like. I think some of this is really experiential of like talking about what's happening when you look at this right now. You know, I do think that's important to kind of go through with them in the session because, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do the social media cleanse and get rid of this and that. And they won't. But like because they're they're not going to sit there and talk and be honest with themselves necessarily at home by themselves. But in session you know, it can be more like, you know, is this really helping you? Is this really like, so it's kind of supporting them, but also like helping them be more curious of like, does this really feel good? Or is this yeah. kind of like, you know, often it's holding on to that fantasy of like, but this, but it feels so good to hold on to that. You yeah. know what I mean? There's something in that that's like better than reality, but really, yeah, there's not. It's so. funny because I, 
I remember just thinking, you know, basically people who are models or like professional runners or whatever, who are like just so much, you know, thinner than I would ever be as my body type. I was like, that's, that's perfect. And it's because that's what I was like seeing all the time. Right. And I remember distinctly going on this like walk. I think it was, I think it was supposed to be a run, but we just walked with my brother and this like woman who clearly was some sort of like elite <laughs> runner, you know, ran by us and he could tell that I was like, oh, like, I wish I looked like that. Like, whatever. She's great. And he's like, Julia, I know you feel that way, but all I see are like her collarbone and, you know, mm. like that she's she runs all the time and she's probably not trying to have a kid right now. And, you know, when I look at a woman, I'm like, oh, she looks like she could have a kid and. She looks like she could, you know, her body could support that. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a different way of looking at someone. Yes. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, yes. you think that's pretty or like, that's right. good or right, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was something, it was interesting to to hear just like totally different perspective. Right, right. And it's interesting that what we project onto what other, we think yeah. other people think. Yeah. Right? I'm like, I thought all guys yes. like want it or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I have just two last questions. Sure. So one is um, for your patients uh, or clients or whatever you call them, um, is it very often that they cry during an appointment or cry when they leave? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it would just be good for people to hear if they are someone who reacts yes. or whatever. Like, yes. is that normal? Is it... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's um, totally normal to cry. I, you know, I, I invite it. I, I think that sometimes people um, can be very emotional and can be vulnerable in that way. And other times that takes a long time. Yeah. Um, because that is people can feel like this sense of like, I can't do that because that means I'm not in control or that means like, right. I'm, you know, it's it can be a trusting thing. And I yeah. think that that is like, Hope I'm hopeful that someone will cry if they need to cry because I think it's such a release and I think it, you know, it's a sign that someone's being vulnerable and I think, you know, throughout the world, I think especially eating disorders really represent um, being afraid to be vulnerable, right? Being yeah. afraid to be ourselves and real and, and like, you know, trying to put this ideal out there that's not real and I think so I, I guess I would say I'd advocate for crying you know <laughs> okay um but yeah and I think it can be really hard and sometimes that can be like a shameful experience yeah but, um okay good to know that yeah. all those criers are not Absolutely. not the only one no, 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 <laughs> yeah no, no. Uh, and the last question is what I ask everyone at the end um so could you tell me what your favorite food is yes certainly. <laughs> um my favorite food it are well a lot I have a lot of them but my favorite really favorite since I was young are um french fries oh delicious done really well with like a lot of salt um and like crispy but like soft on the inside but the, I like the crispy ones that kind of are like on the fray oh really <laughs> like I've done a little too much um and I really love, of course, New Haven pizza. I think it's the best. Oh, yeah. And ice cream, <laughs> really good ice cream. Do you have a favorite ice cream place? I do. I mean, I love Ashley's. I it's love so good. Arethusa. I yeah. love homemade ice cream. I think you can tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When it's homemade or not. Um, and a really good cookie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> have you ever been to Ordinary? 
Yes. Okay, those yes. cookies are amazing. They're amazing. Yes, so anyone absolutely. in New Haven, highly advocate going to <laughs> yes. Ordinary and getting their chocolate chip cookies. Yes, they have delicious. like salt they're on them. Warm, and they're warm. And they're yes. really big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much thank for you. coming on. What a pleasure. Thank yeah. you.